Philippians, it's kind of interesting, it sort of it walks through this book with a centralized theme that's all about happy. You see it over and over, chapter after chapter, God is teaching you how to be happy and stay happy. Football is kind of an interesting analogy because you're watching the game and you get really pumped up and excited, like your team is doing well, we're driving down the field for the winning touchdown, we're 20 yards out, all we need is Kaepernick to throw one more <laughs> touchdown, and then Sherman, Sherman, this is a bad analogy if you don't watch football, and I'm sorry, basically he threw an interception and Seattle made it in, so you kick the dog and you throw the chips at your wife. She leaves you. And marriage is never the same. Just kidding. Just kidding around. But what, what this series is all about is what are those deeper habits? How do, you, how do you put happiness so deep inside of you that you're not swayed by the little things of life? When someone cuts you off in traffic, you deal with it. When someone writes at the bottom of a comment card, instead of a prayer, it's more like comments about what they think about the service and all the things they hate. You know, that stuff doesn't sway you anymore. I, I know Pastor Carlos said that was his, though, just so you guys know. He, uh, he's actually in this picture being consoled by a couple buddies after reading some of the comments. <laughs> but this series, we're talking about going deeper than this. We want to go deep inside and say, what are the habits that you can put within you that you're not swayed by just anything that happens to you in this world? Philippians jumps into that head first. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, open them up. Chapter 2, we're going to be at verse 12. And if you have your notes, pull those out. And if you're on the aisle, do me a favor, pick up those basket of pens, pass them down so everyone can take lots of notes. And then if you have your Bible, turn to this chapter, or you can read it with me up here, where it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, if you brought your Bible, take your pen and just circle this next part. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. So circle work in. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm giving you permission to write in your Bible. I want you to circle work out and work in. In fact, this is going to be the key phrase. This is what you can take with you and say, I didn't hear anything he said, but I remember this phrase over and over. Work out what God has worked in. That's the phrase you want to catch. And you want to make sure you don't read this wrong. It doesn't say work for. You cannot work for your salvation. You can't earn your salvation and you don't deserve it or, or pay for it or do just enough good works to get there. It doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. It says it's by God's grace that you're saved. Through faith, and even the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. If we could work for our salvation, I think we'd all be in heaven talking about how great we were and how what we did in our life and how we made it. And we'd just be talking about our great accomplishments. And I believe, from what I have read, heaven is the exact opposite of that sort of living. So it's not about working for. What you do is you work out what God has worked in. Think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. 
When you take a jigsaw puzzle and you dump out all those pieces, did you invent this puzzle or create this puzzle? No. Someone else created it, cut it up in about 50 billion pieces so you'll go insane, and then you work out how to make it come back and look like this beautiful picture that this one happens to be showing. That's working out something that someone else created. You could also think of it as going to the gym. When you go to the gym to work out, what you're doing there, <laughs> Pastor Larry is much stronger than you guys think. He, uh, let's just say the water skiing pays off if you guys are interested. Now, the gym and all of the things you can buy to put inside your body and whatnot, they always talk about creating muscle, creating muscle. That is a farce. You can't create muscle. There's only one who created muscle. You may not be able to see the muscles, but they are in there. God created those muscles. What you have to do is what? Work out the muscle. As you work it out, yeah, they will start to appear, and you'll start to look as good as Pastor Larry looks. But you have to work out what God has worked in. So we're going to go today and have some parties and lots of guacamole dip and chips, and I want to encourage you to eat as much as you possibly want. And the reason that you can do that is because you already went to the gym. I'm going to give you five exercises this morning in which you can work out so that you can eat as much as you want this afternoon, okay? All right, this first exercise we're going to get to has to deal with fear. A few, um, a few weeks ago, I did a whole sermon about fear, and I used this pop-up book, and I showed you all the different fears that are out there in this world. This one's fear of speaking. This one's mine. It's really tough. Kidding. This one's spiders. You know, it was interesting. If you haven't heard that sermon, you can go get it online on our website. But as people were leaving, some other fears really came up, and people were talking to me about it. One was the fear of abandonment. There, you can be in this room full of people and feel really lonely. And some people express that fear. They, they feel this loneliness in a world that's full of people. And this sort of disconnect of, of abandonment from God and where I'm supposed to be. I don't, I don't even feel him. So that's a real fear that is popping up in people. Another one that was mentioned was the fear of the future. Just this heavy decisions, heavy forward thinking of, of I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't know how to do it. And that fear was weighing on them. The, if you have a fear in your life, those don't coexist well with happiness. Those things are in contradiction to each other. So you have to work this part out with this particular exercise. Write this down in your notes. Remember that God is with me, he's in me, and he's for me. Remember that God is with me, he's in me, and he's for me. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is always working. God is always working in you, giving you both the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Look at that, that verse, word by word, working. What does that word working mean? If you can go back in the Greek, the Greek word that's actually used there is energos. We, our English word that we translate is into energy. So you can look at this verse and you could say, God is always the energy in you. You could quote it like that. 
So we know that the energy that is within us, we can't do this life on willpower alone. Some people do, but you, you want the energy that is deep within you, and that is what's bringing out this working of what God is doing, how God is the energy driver of your life. John fourteen eighteen says, I will not leave you as orphans. This is Jesus talking. I will be with you, and you will realize that you are in me, and I am in you. That is a key phrasing of what's going on there. He is saying, I am with you. I am around you. Then he's saying, I am in you. And we know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he's also saying that we are in him. And that is our guiding light, how God will direct us. So basically, you're seeing the entire Trinity surround you. You've got all of it right there within you. And the enemy has to go through the Trinity to get to you. The only way that it can actually penetrate all those levels of safety is if we allow the enemy to enter. How do we do that? Fear. Fear absolutely lets the enemy dive right through the Trinity. We do it with the seven deadly sins. Each one of those just shoots right through that Trinity. But if you will stop the fear and exercise this part out, work this part out, you have the Trinity surrounding you and nothing can get through that. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can defeat us? If we will do this exercise, we will wake up each day saying, God, I thank you that you're going to be with me today. You're going to be in me today. You're going to be for me today. There is nothing that can defeat me because you are all around me, protecting me and guiding me through this day. It changes the way we experience life. It's good. We're to work out what God works in. The second exercise, write this down. Be grateful and never grumble. This one's a, this one's a little bit harder because we put on a pretty good face in public. All of you look pretty happy today, you know, you're pretty happy people, but on the inside, we look a lot more like this guy. This is more what we look like, and, and I know it may seem like this is an over-exaggeration, but it's really not, because as happy as we show on the outside, we do certain things. We have a natural negative tendency. That negativity sort of always rises to the top and sort of, it sort of bubbles out in some of the things that we say. And we look a lot more like this on the inside. And as ugly as this guy is, sorry if you like him, but uh, that's what we actually look like. I've seen it in four different ways. I see it with whiners. Whiners sort of have this natural, it's that bumper sticker, I may rise, but I'm not going to shine. The people have on their cars. They wake up just whining, sort of like, oh, like, oh man, my whole body's aching and I got to go through this day. It's just a natural tendency to start whining about everything that's going on. We have a choice. Negativity is a choice. You have to choose how you're going to experience the day. You can wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Good morning. You're with me. You're in me. I'm ready. Let's experience this day together. Is that how most of you are waking up? Or are you waking up more like, good Lord, it's morning again. Ah, <laughs> oh, just aches and pains. I realize this is all the people outside of these walls, but let's just talk about them, right? The second one I see a lot is martyrs. Martyrs are, it's a little bit different approach. The martyrs, they go with this idea that nobody appreciates me. 
Here I am just trying to help out and no one appreciates me. It's that pity party that they're so good at throwing that everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm just going to go eat some worms. It's the person on their tombstone where they wrote, I told you I was sick. That's what they have right there. Just pleasant, pleasant people. You have to ask yourself, how do you react when you don't quite get your way, when it's not exactly how you want? You're not getting the the appreciation in the exact way that you think would be best. Do you start to get people to come on your side and sort of build up a little group over here and poison what's going on? We know people like that, don't we? The third one is cynics. Cynics is the approach of... What's the use? I mean, why bother? I have tried and tried. I keep trying to help out. I keep, I keep putting my two cents in, and it's just, not, it's just not happening. And so you kind of poison the water again and just say, ugh. It's the person who walks into the grocery store, and the guy asks the lady, hey, shopping bag? And she says, no, just looking. It's a, a negative thought is the first thought that happens I, you know, I was going to drop that joke after this first service because it's just not good enough. But there's just that first thought is negative. You know, someone says something nice and you're like, hmm, they want something from me. You know, that's the cynic. And a lot of people struggle with that. And you look more like that. The fourth one is perfectionist. Nothing's ever good enough for these complainers. Everything is just not quite the way it should be. Honestly, this one's mine. I have to admit, I am a perfectionist. Every Sunday afternoon, I think through both services and think, oh, that transition was weak. This needs to be fixed. That needs to be tweaked. Especially if I'm speaking, I'm thinking, oh, I should have dropped that joke. Why didn't I drop that joke? And I'll just all afternoon, it's just the perfectionist. And I, I explain it away and I say, I'm just trying to make it better. I want more people to come to know Christ. You know, that's, I'm a martyr here, God. No, I'm just kidding. I just, it's not quite how we're supposed to be living. As much as we try and explain it, it's not it. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. And I was okay writing the sermon until I realized the word everything is in there. And I kept looking at it over and over going, Everything is the problem with that verse. Everything. I go, I, I, I can handle it. I can handle it, but I keep coming back going, oh, everything? Everything? Because there's a lot of things out there. Everything I have to do this? Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you this, that you will give an account on judgment day of every careless word that you have spoken. I think that's going to be a really long day. <laughs> and I just, I'm not looking forward to that day because there's so many times that I've explained away my grumbling, but there's no excuse. He told me there was no excuse. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we have spoken many sermons, people come out a lot saying, I want to follow God, but I don't know what his will for me is. The answer is right there in that verse. Your, the will is that in everything you are supposed to give thanks. Step two and three and four, it really takes care of itself. God will guide you. Things will happen. But you have to be thankful in where you are now, thankful in what you are facing now, and understand that God will take care of the rest. And there's a lot of things that I, I don't feel very thankful for. 
I'm not thankful for war, uh, leukemia, cancer. I'm not thankful when people get raped or molested or racial injustice or evil. To be thankful for this much evil in the world would be a perversion of God's word. But that's not how he said it. He did not say thankful for everything. All these verses have said in everything. You are to be thankful in everything. That is the key. That is what you would circle in all these verses. I in, in everything. In everything I can draw closer to God. No matter what I'm facing, how difficult it is, how awful it is, I can still draw closer to God in this moment. I can still help people to draw closer to God. They will see my witness. It will forever change who I am. And I'm not thankful for it, but in it, my witness of who God is will never be the same. In everything, Christ can win. In everything, I can grow more like Christ. In everything, people can grow from who I am. Romans 8.28, in all things, God works for the good. But we have to work out what God works in. The third exercise, this is the one, because you're going to have an extra slice of pizza, you have to do this exercise right now. Keep my conscience clear. Guiltiness and happiness cannot fit in the same place. If there's any sort of guilt that is within you, you have to remove it if you really want to experience happiness. Philippians 2.15, you are to live clean and pure lives as children of God in a broken and corrupted generation. This was written 2,000 plus years ago. Do we still live in a broken and corrupted generation? Yeah. The human nature of people has not changed. We still live in that same corrupted and broken place. It's very different from where it was, but it's still broken. It goes on to say, you are to shine like stars, lighting up a dark world. When we are in the city and you look up into the sky and you look at the stars, they're not that bright. You can still see them, but they're not as bright as they can be. When you go out into the forest and there's no lights around and you look up, you're amazed because you're like, wow, I can see the Milky Way. It's so bright up there. It's so much brighter out here. The difference is in the darkness that is around you. It's the same reason that a jeweler always puts diamonds under that black velvet. He wants the diamond to shine against the black background. Us as Christians, we should be shining brighter and brighter as the world becomes darker and darker around us. As it becomes corrupted and evil and everything going down, people should look at us and say, that person is, it's actually strange. Their integrity is so strong. The purity of that person, the conscience, the authenticity of this person, the open book personality that they have, their love for other people, all of it should rise up and they shine brighter and brighter. We as Christians, as we follow this exercise, as the world becomes darker, we should be shining brighter. Psalms 119.1 says, Happy are those who live pure lives who follow the Lord's teaching, keep his rules, and try to obey him with their whole hearts. Over and over through the whole entire Bible, the word happy keeps popping up. Jesus said it like this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word blessed in the Greek, it actually means happy, surprisingly enough. So basically, one of the, 
one of the greatest sermons of all time is basically Jesus standing up and telling you eight ways to be happy. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is he saying to them? He's giving them a sermon. This way to happiness series is what he's doing. We get to follow along with what Christ was doing because he's saying, if you want to experience my best, if you want to experience happiness, then follow these things. You'll be blessed the more pure you stay inside. Psalms 32.1 says, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Happiness, joy, relief. The Bible says it all comes from purity. The more we stay pure on the inside. My analogy or illustration for this, thank you Hulk for your service, I put you here, is this trash can. Now, in my house, the trash really smells. I have three kids. That's enough by itself, but two of them are still in diapers. One shouldn't be if you'd like to talk to him. (laughs) That's awful. Don't talk to him about that. But I have to take the trash out constantly because it smells horrible. I can smell it from so far away. If I didn't take the trash out daily... My house would be toxic. No one would ever want to go there, including me. It would make the house just reek. So I take it out a lot. And when we talk about God, if I was to leave the trash just there, and and when it talks about God, it talks about if I'm going to leave this corrupt, gross, these sins, all this stuff on my conscience just weighing inside of me, yeah, it's going to smell. It's going to be toxic to your life. It's going to be dirty. So every night... Every day, you have to bring that before God and say, I have to clear this. This is my exercise. I've got to do this. I've got to clear. I I did this and this. I let these deadly sins enter my life. I've got to clear this out daily so that I can experience happiness. If I don't clear this out, it will be toxic for my life. It's obvious stuff, but we have to do it on a daily basis. We have to work out what God works in. The fourth exercise Memorize God's word and live it. This one's the Bible. Philippians 2.16 says, Hold tightly to the word of life. We're actually told in Scripture that as you read the word, it washes through you. It does something magical, I should say spiritual, and it washes the, the, all the junk, the depression, the worry out. In fact, we know the word meditation because if you've ever worried about something so much that it constantly envelops your thoughts, or you've had a depression, and that depression has gone so deep that you can't move because you're thinking about these depressed thoughts, that's another form of meditation. You can take the Bible and do the same thing. Meditate on the word where that depression, where that worry, where that fear is, and let that be your every thought as you start to flow and make it, let it guide you. I like to think of it as the grip on the Word of God. A lot of people, actually not as many as probably should, but their grip's one finger. And one finger is, somehow having trouble, there we go. One finger is going to church on a weekly basis. Okay, as, that's my grip on the Bible. 
if I have a strong wind, I should be okay depending on how strong the wind is. Or if I get knocked by someone, it may hold up, but it's not that strong, right? I'm actually not as strong as it should be. So I add a second finger to hold the Bible. The second finger is when you start to read the Bible daily. So now, if I get hit by somebody, I, I should be able to hold it, depending on how hard the hit is, but I should be a little bit better as the trials of life, as I face difficult situations. I should have a little bit stronger hold of it, but not as good as it should be. So I add the third finger. In that third finger, all of a sudden, I can, I can handle a little bit more, right? I can be hit a little bit harder by whatever comes at me. That third finger is when we go from reading the Bible daily to studying the Bible daily. There's a big difference. I'm working personally through the minor prophets right now. I read it and I go, God, I have no idea what I just read. That was the most difficult stuff I've read. I have to spend time studying and figure out what in the world are you talking about? That's studying the word and starting to take it a little bit deeper. That's a stronger grip on the Bible to where if I get hit, I'm going to have a better hold on this book. But if I could add a fourth finger, a fourth finger, I'm going to take a lot more hits. I'm going to be able to handle a lot more in this world. My fourth finger is when I begin to memorize the word. So all of a sudden, if something was to happen and all the Bibles are gone, I've got it in here. And it's continuing to be my every thought. I'm pulling up verses by the situations of life, knowing the right moment, what to say. That's a strong grip on this Bible. And if I add the fifth, if I add the fifth, a couple of you guys could come up here and tackle me. And you still wouldn't get this out of my hands. Challenging you. You wouldn't be able to knock this out of me. It would take, I don't know what it would take. It would take a lot. And that fifth finger is when we begin to meditate on the word. Meditation, we know it from being depressed or worrying or fear. It's your every thought. But meditating on the word is when you start to take the Bible and it guides your every thought, your every action. Everything runs through the filter of what does the Bible have to say in this moment. That's a different way of living. Psalm 119.16 says, Your principles make me happy, so I never forget your word. Do you want to be happy? Look at what the verse says. Your word makes me happy. The next verse says, Lead me in the path of your commands, because that is where happiness is found. If you're trying to find happiness, it's as close as your next time in the word. But we have to work out what God works in. All right, last one. This is the extra buffalo wings. Someone today at your party, when they say, you know what, he said I could eat as much as I want. You say back to him, did you work out what God worked in with number five? Use my life to serve God by serving others. If you're serious about happiness, and happiness is actually a pretty serious subject, then you have to begin to serve God by serving others. This is the cross as the last analogy here. It's interesting how God wired the world. He actually wired everything to point to him. So our example of this one is Christ himself. He comes and he lives here and he serves and he serves and he serves all the way up to the cross in which he serves sacrificially by dying for our sins. We have no greater example of someone doing all of that than going down and, and even sacrificially serving to beat death so that we can experience an eternity 
with him. It's an amazing story. But then he wired the world and said, if you really want to know what happiness is, you will experience it as you serve me. But you can't see me. I'm invisible. So the way you serve me is by serving others. What you do to the least of these, you're doing for me. He wired the world in that you will experience Christ the best. You will experience happiness the most when you're acting the most like him. And you begin serving others. Matthew 25, And as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. So the enemy comes along and says, that's not true. Status will make you happy. You are bombarded with status symbol sort of things saying that's happiness. But we know lots of people with status that are not happy. So it comes at you again and says money. Just money and stuff. If you can gain enough things, you'll be happy. But we know lots of people with money that are not happy. So it hits you even harder saying sex is the way to happiness. And it throws all kinds of imagery at you. Sex is the way to happiness. But we know people having sex, people having lots of sex aren't always happy. So God comes back, Mark 8.35. If you insist on saving your life for yourself, you will lose it. Only those who sacrificially give away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. The closer you get to this cross and what Christ did, then you will really live. That's the secret. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In Philippians 2, verse 17 and 18, it says, your faith makes, makes you offer your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. So I have two very pointed questions. The first one is, where do you sacrificially volunteer to serve others on a regular basis? If you want to experience true happiness, you really want happiness in your life, you have to find a place in which you are sacrificially serving. It's not always convenient. But as you do that, you're growing closer to Christ and the happiness is starting to come up. It's weird. We don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense until you do it. And those of you that have stepped up and been there and done that, you know what I'm talking about. The second question, is your heart growing more generous every year? Are you more generous this year than you were last year? Or do you find that you seem to be stuck in that same generosity level? And as you're stuck in that same generosity level, you're also stuck in the same happiness or unhappiness level. It's not, nothing seems to be moving just as your generosity isn't moving. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does the word blessed mean? Yes. Happy. It is more happy to give than to receive. Jesus also said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Your heart is connected to where your treasure is. Your happiness is connected to where your treasure is. We get, the word miserable comes from the root word of miser. The more that we say mine, 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 the more we become a miser, the more we become miserable. It is so interesting that we are told this over and over, and yet we struggle in this area. Generosity is also where your happiness is connected to. But we have to work out what God works in. But before you do all this, what does, what does this say on the side of every package, every diet, Every workout plan, 
First, go to your doctor and make sure your heart is ready for this exercise. So you have to start there. You have to do a heart check. Is your heart ready for these exercises? The truth is, we all have a heart problem. We are born with a heart problem, but we know a great heart doctor. He makes house calls. He's never lost a patient. He doesn't charge anything. It's all about grace. There's no special website you have to go to and sign up and wait on the phone for hours, hoping the president will someday help you with this area. Not that that's personal. But the main thing is he specializes in heart transplants. You get a whole new heart. Ezekiel 36.26 says this, I will give you a new heart with a new and right desire. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take out your heart, hardened by sin, and I will give you a new heart of love. We have to work out what God works in. As we come to him and ask for this heart, he will put it in. And then we work it out. How do I get this heart? I'm glad you asked that question. Acts 4.12. Salvation can only be found in Jesus alone. In all the world, there is no one else whom God has given who can save us. So if you are here today and you need to work this part out before you ever do these other exercises, I want to pray for you now. As everyone bows your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you need a heart transplant, please pray this prayer after me. God, God, I need a new heart. Mine has been broken and battered and embittered. I am fearful. I am frustrated. Sometimes my heart is cold and calculating. I have been sick and self-centered. I need a heart transplant. God, I want to become a new person inside. Jesus, I ask you to do heart surgery on me today. And as much as I know how, come into my life and work in me And give me both the desire and the ability to do the right thing. Lord, I can't do any of this working out until first you have done the working in. So I'm asking you to save me. I want to put my trust in you. I want to learn to love you. I want to learn to follow you. Jesus, from this day forward, as best as I know how, I pray this in your name. Amen.